they had a Gallup survey that came out in early 2020. And I was very surprised at the findings of the, of the survey. It was right before the pandemic really hit. Uh, so it was really taken in, 19, in, in 2019, but it was published in 2020. And it was something amazing. It was like 92% of millennials said that they would like to finish out their careers in the existing companies where they were working. I mean, I never even heard that. It wasn't like there was a labor shortage and they could go anywhere. They wanted to demonstrate loyalty to the companies. And for them, the loyalty to be shown is the companies need to provide development, opportunities for advancement, and then, of course, to advance them. And then this idea of work-life balance. Where does work-life balance fall into that? Welcome to the Home Service Expert, where each week, Tommy chats with world-class entrepreneurs and experts in various fields like marketing, sales, hiring, and leadership to find out what's really behind their success in business. Now, your host, the Home Service Millionaire, Tommy Mello. Welcome back to the Home Service Expert. My name is Tommy Mello, and today I have a guest, Philip Zimmerman. He's visiting all the way from Baden. Rouge. Uh, he's an expert in work-life balance, something I know nothing about. Leadership and management. Uh, engineering Leadership Design Company, LLC. He's the founding member and president for 2014 to the present. Gremlin and Zimmerman. Uh, yeah. Gremion, Gremion. Gremion. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry. Good, good cage. I think it's spelled wrong. Founding member from 2013 to present. Plainsight Academy. He's the founder from 2019 to 2020. And the Dunham School Executive Director, Institute of Leadership at Dunham, which was about an 11-year run. Philip is a masterful ICF professional certified coach who helps successful business executives and their teams actuate outcomes at higher sustainable levels than ever dreamed or imagined. He has over 30 years of executive corporate leadership and more than 10 years in the secondary education and leadership development. He's frequently invited conference speaker to address leadership succession institutional knowledge transfer, next generation leader development, and millennial engagement, productivity, and loyalty. Philip, hey, listen, glad to have you on today. Great to be with you, Tommy. So let's just start out by introducing you and just telling everybody what it is that you do exactly. What I do exactly, I help uh, business leaders enhance the engagement, productivity, and loyalty of of their millennial talent. And I do a lot of strategic planning with, with business leaders. I got into coaching for that purpose, specifically in the in regards to millennials. I also do a lot of strategic planning with individuals. Lately, I've been doing what's called what I call a next generation leader initiative within an organization to help them transfer from the boomer staff and a lot of the older Xers, uh, the institutional knowledge within the organization down to their millennial talent, because the, the millennial talent is going to soon be in, in charge in a lot of different areas by as soon as 2025. 75% of the global workforce by 2025 are going to be millennial. And so that that leaves only 25% of boomers and Xers, which are going to be in the executive leadership position. And there's far more leadership positions than just at the C-suite level. So uh, millennials will be running a lot in the next four years. That's really interesting. You know, there's a stat that I I don't know the exact stat, but I know the last two years, more millennials bought houses than baby boomers. And that's the first time in history about uh, two or three years ago. And the buying decisions are starting to change as well for the way we we talk about home service because oh, yeah. I think for me what I'm starting to realize is there's a lot more forms being filled out the text messages come through we've got a thing called schedule engine they just book the call versus jumping on the phone I hear this all the time in my call center we called and left them a voicemail I'm like 
I literally have my voicemail full for a reason because yeah. I don't want to check it. I want you to text message me. Yeah. Yeah. What, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, well, speaking about them buying homes, we're about to have the greatest wealth transfer in the history of humankind in the, probably the next 15 years is the boomers decease, right? And they uh, pass all their wealth to their millennial children. It's going to be huge. Uh, you think of all the billionaires in the world and all the resources that they have. They have trusts and that kind of stuff, but a lot of them don't. And it's it's all going to the millennials. So they're going to be find themselves super rich very quickly. And they're going to buy a lot of more, more stuff than just houses. Well, you know, uh, what's interesting about that is a lot of people that made the money know how to keep it. Some of them don't. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But when you pass it on, <laughs> there's a lot of spending that goes yeah. on because oh, yeah, yeah. you look at even before the millennials, my grandparents, my grandma used to save a pennies. They were raised through the Great Depression, right? So my grandma was born in 1920. My grandpa was born in 1910. So you can imagine that they were so tight. They had money, yeah, oh, yeah. but they didn't spend it um, yeah. at all. And I mean, what's crazy about it is uh, I think the baby boomers, they grew up with that. They're not the same, but they're way more conservative than maybe the millennials. Uh, they're more conservative, but the, the boomers were after money. I mean, that, that would define our generation. We were the generation that basically uh, foregone all prior cultural uh, norms in regards to family, uh, social order, those kinds of things. And we just went after the money and we accumulated a lot of money. There's the 401ks came in the, during the boomers because the boomers were accumulating so much money. The banks, they didn't want to put it into a bank and uh, the investment houses went crazy. If you just look at the, the growth of the investment companies from 1980 to 1995, uh, it's pretty phenomenal, just the expansion of financial services. They handle all the money that boomers were stuffing away. That's interesting. You know, it's, it's a fun subject to talk about. Now, I've got an irrevocable trust. I've set up a will. You know, I've kind of gone through this process in the last year, but I know a lot of people haven't. What do you predict as this generational wealth starts to do the transfer? I think this is a great conversation. Uh, you know, it's really difficult to say, as you said, the, in regards to how they're going to handle their money. That's a good question. You know, the part of the millennial mindset is, is they're not after the money. You know, a lot of people think that they just want to work for the next the next ten dollars or they'll take the job for the next five cents an hour or something. and They're going to change jobs. That has nothing to do with it. Now, they, they certainly want to be paid well. That's no question about it. But they're not really after the money. They might give a lot of it away. To be honest with you, they might give a lot of it away to social causes or to back political campaigns that, that go toward those social causes that they're interested in. So the, their mindset is different than generations in the past in regards to wealth, uh, wealth accumulation, and how much do you actually need to live? You know, They're going to buy nice cars, nice houses. I'm, I'm not saying they're not going to do that. But the excess wealth that they, they inherit, they're going to travel a lot. I mean, it's, it'll be quite interesting. You know, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm in a different social... Now we're, I'm right at the border of millennial in yeah. 1983. So I'm like right on the edge of actually, I played outside still. Yeah, um, yeah. But I don't know a lot of my friends and even a lot of the employees that are millennials that I think there are some social issues that are large issues, but I know that I grew up in a house that there was business owners. My dad owned a transmission shop. My mom was a realtor. And I think the people that have been around businesses yeah. They understand that capitalism still works. It's kind of, uh, I don't know necessarily if Jesus Christ would have been a, a capitalist, but I know it's socialism sounds nice, 
but I just don't know what's happening these days with schools. And I, I don't get into politics on this podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But well, it, it can never go right. But well, I just say, this is the greatest country ever. Yeah, and I know yeah. one thing is I came up from not a lot. Yeah, oh, yeah. And I know the fact is that if you could come here, it's the American dream to come up and start a business and be able to make it. And I want to share my success personally. I want to yeah. become a philanthropist. I want to do nice things for people. I yeah. want to share the wealth as I continue to be successful. But I don't want someone else to take their cut of it and redistribute it as they feel is necessary. Right. I think that, I can do a good job of doing and it. And that well, I'm talking about exactly what you're talking about in regards to philanthropy. I'm not talking believe me, look, when they inherit all this stuff, they don't want the government to come in. I mean, they'll they'll be really surprised when the government reinstitutes the fifty percent death tax. They don't even know what that is. Oh yeah. But just realize when your parents pass and it's a real grievous moment and then you get it contacted by the uh, executor of the estate and they say oh yeah by the way here's mom and dad's five million dollars and of, of which you get two and a half because the government takes two and a half million of that well why well because your parents died being here that's the penalty for dying well our pr previous president eliminated that that is a very grievous tax so if your parents owned a large farm so yeah, by the way if you're a millennial the farmers are the worst the farmers if your parents own a large, large farm, that the land itself is, you know, it could be in the millions of dollars of, of the land value. Well, we, when their parents die, somebody has to pay that tax. The government's not going to come and seize the land, although they will if you can't pay the tax. They're going to say the land's worth $10 million, you owe $5 million, you got 90 days to pay. Uh, that puts people in a very difficult position. So hopefully they'll, if that in fact does occur, when they, if the death tax does go back in effect, that will awaken them to the reality of the difficulty of taxes overtaxation with no justifiable reason other than the fact that the person died. You know, it's interesting because I was reading uh, and, you know, I wish I had the exact stats and they say most stats are made up, but you know, the fact is they say even billionaires, they don't last more than one generation. Usually the wealth is passed. And for some reason, people think of the Rockefellers, which was, crazy money and there is generational wealth that flows yeah. down from mega money but for the most part it turns hands right yeah, it right. really i don't care how rich you get the next guy takes it over the next woman man whoever it might be kids it's like the lottery for some reason you meet more people that win the lottery guess what happens they buy a lot of boats and big house and they didn't realize they have to pay for all the maintenance and the crew that goes along with it and suddenly all their friends are bugging them so yeah no i totally get that you know, I'm curious because you're around these uh, millennials all the time. Well, I'm just curious your take on uh, cryptocurrency. I like it. I think right. it's a really good technology, and I think Bitcoin's going to be something uh, bigger than most people. But I don't know. I'm not a professional, so don't nobody listen to me on that. I'm in total agreement with you in regards to cryptocurrency. I think that where we're going to have difficulty uh, with cryptocurrency, I, I think China is going to be the one that's going to introduce it globally. I think they've already had they've had plans for a long time to, to introduce it. And I think that the United States is, has been in a position to to stop it. I don't have any information on that, you know, inside information other than what I read in the news. But China, I think, is, is going to uh, require every everything to be bought and sold from China in their own cryptocurrency. And because they're the largest, almost the largest trader in the world, the United States still holds that, by the way. China's very close. But as soon as China gets to the, be the largest trader in the world, as far as goods and services, they're already making everything, right? Uh, as soon as they steal the technology from everybody else to actually make everything that everybody else is making, they will make everything. And because everyone is having to buy from China, they're just going to make it to their own currency. Because right now, it's the dollar. The United States dollar is the global currency. You know, even if you're buying in euros, you have to transfer everything into a dollar to buy something for a euro. The banks are set up to do that. 
But with cryptocurrency, the underlying issue associated with cryptocurrency is going to bring about what the, the old older George Bush said is a one world government. I see a new world order coming. That's what it's going to bring. When you have a global cryptocurrency, currency controls everything. It controls economics. It controls everything. And if you have a global cryptocurrency, that whoever controls the cryptocurrency controls the world. And so I believe that that's going to institute in the future a one world government. And I think the millennials are going to be for it. I think they're going to go for it. And now, while you're saying that you're, you're very pro-American, and I'm very pro-American, you know, we have the greatest country in the world. The millennials have, have been educated and raised, and there's a whole, I, mean, I could talk for hours on this, but they've been educated and raised not to have that opinion. And they have friends globally. If you talk to a millennial, and that, I guess the average college millennial, they've already probably been somewhere else in the world other than the United States. I didn't go and leave the country until I was like 39 years old and went to France. I went to Mexico when I was in, the, in my early 30s and late 30s, went to France, but that was it. These kids in high school and college, most of them are, have already been overseas and seen the world. They communicate globally with people that they know around the world. So their idea of somehow a national border preventing us from having our trade or our relationships that would involve some kind of a conflict over our nationality is they're not necessarily for that. They would rather there be no borders. And I believe that cryptocurrency is going to be the gateway that's going to allow that to happen. That's just my well, it's, it's interesting. You know, I like this conversation. You know, we talk a lot about business on here, but I like to veer off here and there. And I do think if you really understand crypto, you understand what's nice about the blockchain is that you can tell exactly when there's a bad, let's say there's a bad batch of vitamin C or a bad batch of eggs. You know exactly by scanning that exactly what batch it was made and you could identify. I've had uh, some bad chips that came in the LiftMaster or, or other openers. They could identify the batch and you oh, can yeah. scan it and know exactly the raw material. So, so it's a great technology. And I will say this about the crypto is no one understands uh, Bitcoin. I feel like a lot of people don't. And the reason why that you can't just have an American cryptocurrency, no, you, can't. you can't just have Chinese cryptocurrency. One of the biggest reasons is, is the great thing about Bitcoin when you study it is it's not considered a currency. It's considered kind of like a bond. It's more of an asset class. And that's why it's not treated the same in the United States. But the great thing about it is the more countries go down on it and they start passing regulation, what doesn't kill Bitcoin makes it stronger. And what, what nobody understands is the computing power of the mining that make it what it is today. And it's so much further advanced. The computing power is bigger than all the world government's computing power combined. And that alone, because of the mining, gives it a huge head start. So we'll see. I could be wrong, but you're going to watch countries start taking on Bitcoin. You're going to oh, yeah. watch, I think, competing with gold, and then you're going to start seeing it purchasing real estate. Yeah, um, I, I went into a cell phone repair shop here in Baton Rouge two weeks ago, and they had, we accept Bitcoin and Doji. Is that the other one, D-O-G-I? Bitcoin, yeah. And I was, uh, are, you, are you kidding me? You really accept Bitcoin? Oh, yes, we love you. to Look, we want you to pay in Bitcoin. <laughs> I'll say, well, why is that? Well, look, if it goes up, we win. <laughs> well, the, deal is, the deal is that the more people that accept it, the higher adoption rate, but also just understand it's highly volatile now. It's going to be volatile until oh, people yeah. really understand it. And it's going to have huge swings, sometimes eight, nine hundred percent in both directions. And the point is, it's a long-term play. I don't, I don't ever look at the stock market and say, "Man, it's down today." If you look at it, it went to seventeen thousand. Now it's back way above thirty. So that was within the last year. But um, you know, let's jump into sure. this millennial conversation because 
and you're absolutely right. If I see a baby boomer, I know one thing. They want more money. And it's that easy. They don't care if they love their work. They don't care if they're included. They don't care if they're communicated with necessarily. They do care, but not at the same extent. A millennial has feelings. They want to be heard. They want to know that they're they're heard. And they're, they're all about appreciation in the workforce. So how has the business landscape changed during the transition, I guess? Well, tell me a little bit from your perspective. I call it a millennium change cycle will happen probably by 2040. So in the next 15 years, you will look at your business in, in 2040 and wonder how you ever did business in 2021. That's how significant this change is coming. And as a result of the millennial generation, most highly educated generation in human history, uh, they are not weak. They're not out of it mentally. Uh, they were educated. And there was things, cultural shifts that happened that are bringing this millennium change cycle about. And that's part of what we're seeing in culture today is that we had a, at the end of World War II, this area of called Western philosophy, which was, it has been in existence since the Greeks back in the fifth century BC. Okay. This idea of Western philosophy, it was called modern philosophy. The version of it was called modern philosophy that died in 1948 uh, at the end of World War II. And the part of that dying of that philosophical thing, it has lasted for 2,600 years. It has only died out two other times during that 2,600 year run. So this is the third time it's actually died out. And you enter into, because what philosophy provides mankind is the ability to say what is true and what is knowable and what is justice. So what is true, what's knowable about the truth, and then what is the just thing to do? That's what philosophy provided. Well, when that philosophy died, well, there was no more rules. There was no more rule for what is true or what isn't true, what is noble or, or what is justice and what is not justice. And so as a result of that, we had a huge culture shift from a philosophical perspective. Postmodernism is what is called postmodern thought, you know, after modern era. It entered the United States probably in the 60s, late 50s, early 60s, swept through the college campuses. And the, but it didn't go to the general culture because the general culture didn't accept it yet until the college graduates graduated from college and they started doing work and and becoming more influential in the culture. And by 1980, everything in our culture was postmodern. And you just see that in television shows and everything else. And so as a result of that, the millennials were started to be born anywhere from 1980 or 1982. That's the borderline. So you said you were born in 1983. So actually, you're, you're probably consider an older millennial. Yeah. And so you were raised in a culture that was telling you everything from a postmodern perspective. You can have your own truth. The truth is all relative. There is no absolute truth. And you can do whatever you want because there's nothing holding you back to be able to do whatever you want. Where there's a, there was a philosophical mindset before that to stop that. Boomers, I'll give you that, the difference of that between a boomer and a millennial. And Xers are somewhere in the middle. When they do a, a demographic survey to try to evaluate their profile, they either profile out as a boomer or as a millennial. They don't have a unique generational mindset of their own. But for the boomer, we were raised, I'm a boomer, that we were raised that there is a right way to live. That's kind of how you described how you were raised. There is a right way to live. Millennials were raised that there is no wrong way to live. If you just think about that for a second, there's a right way to live, and then there's no wrong way to live. So you can live any way you want to, and it's acceptable. Now that is running rampant in our culture, okay? And that's what you see happening in, in this foment of, of a younger generation who's just crying out to be heard that we should stop criticizing people for living the way that they want to live because they were raised and educated and everything in culture is something there is no wrong way to live. Okay. So boomers and older extras are having to get used to that because we're rejecting that, right? Or we have conflicts inside of ourselves when that happens. 
So that was one thing. There was another age shift that happened that we had to do with our business model. When all this philosophical stuff was going on, our business model also changed. And without that involved three things, economics, how we handle money. We went from local trade to global trade. That has to do with cryptocurrency. Also, all this stuff in regards to economics changed. The technology changed. We went from pen and paper to cell phones. I mean, supercomputers. But then now we have these cell phones that are supercomputers in your pocket. And uh, Elon Musk is talking about putting a supercomputer in your brain. I'm not sure if you've seen any one of those Elon Musk videos on the, what he's developing for a brain implant. It's, it's phenomenal. I mean, he actually has a working model in pigs right now where he's going to implant something the size of a quarter with uh, a thousand wires that they're going to wire into your brain. And he said, you're going to have your cell phone in your brain, basically. He said, you'll have the power of your cell phone in your brain. And to be able to upload stuff onto the, into the little chip and download stuff from the chip into your brain, it's unbelievable. That stuff is coming. So this is a technological shift. Well, boomers were raised on the on the pen and paper. We had to learn how to use the technology, but we've always resisted it. And even now, right now, the as the technology AI is moving into the workplace, boomers are super resistant to it because we just don't want to learn it again. I mean, we learned so many technologies over our careers. We're just tired. We're, we're burned out on doing this. Where the millennials were totally raised and they had the cell phone, but they didn't have the iPhone yet. So the Generation Z coming after them was raised on the iPhone. Wow, that's, that's pretty scary. But they were raised with the cell phone and the technology, and they, they're, they're demanding the use of technology and everything that they do. And it makes a lot of sense. I'll give you an example in the home repair business. I, I had a, my air conditioner went out last night. My, we have it on a cell phone control. My wife said, Philip, the air conditioner is really high. I can't get it to turn on. So I went back there, worked on the thermostat, changed the batteries, and man, it came on after I changed. Oh, it must be a battery thing. And then it just went back out. And then uh, it went off again. Well, I couldn't figure it out. I'm sitting there going, what's wrong with it? We just had the service tech out here you know, a month ago to check it out. All Everything's working fine. My, my wife said, I think it was a Holy Spirit thing. She said, Phil, what about the drip pan? I never thought about the drip pan. Said, the drip pan. Oh, my gosh. So it was full of water, you know, holding water. So I put some Clorox in the drain and took a shop back up there and emptied out the. And when I came down the stairs, I said, what the heck? This is 2021. There is nothing that's telling me my drip pan's full. They can't have a sensor on the display that says, oh, by the way, your drip, yeah. your drip pan's full or even have a, a mini pump up in the drip pan to get it, get rid of it. <laughs> this is 2021. So technology in the home maintenance field. So if you're a millennial listening to this, hey, you need to come out with a little thing on your on the wall that says the drip pan's full. My wife, she wouldn't have been able to go change the drip pan. That's the whole thing. She would not have been able to go change the drip pan. This is where technology is going to really take off. And if you're working for a boomer, they're probably not going to think about that. Oh, heck, man, the thermostat's fine. We don't need to change. I'm not willing to invest in the, the technology to, to do that. And you're dealing with this in the home maintenance business all the time, is that you'll have boomers that have home maintenance businesses that they started back in the mid-80s, uh, 90s for sure, worked all the way through the 2010, and they're still using the equipment that they had from, they bought the brand new stuff they bought in 2004, 2005. And here we are in 2021. They don't want to make the capital investment because they're late in age. So they're in their 50s or early 60s. They don't want to spend $100,000 to retool all their equipment. So they're going to keep on going as long as they can. When in fact, there are equipments out there that you can use today. It's interesting because you're right. But I will say that these millennials that are getting into business, you know, everybody's always, this is the ultimate conversation that goes into what about Amazon? What about Facebook? What about Google? What about Apple, right? The big four, what are they going to do to disrupt home service? Right? So that's a big conversation, but the one thing they have not figured out, they're all trying to Uberize home service. The problem is 
that they haven't figured out yet, and I don't think they will in the next few years, is the labor portion. I just don't no. think they can. I don't think that they could change. How are they going to get good trucks that are equipped, good training, the right tools to get the guys? Here's what they say in their minds. All these technology companies, just Uberize it. Find the nearest guy in a truck. But then what they want is have them with an iPad, have them take a picture, have them make sure it's background checked, make sure the truck's reliable, make sure they got the right tools, make sure they're trained to diagnose, make sure they got background checks, make sure they're not on drugs, make sure they're nice, <laughs> make sure they can get reviews. And then all of a sudden they go, wait, we can't do that. We can't. Right. So then they go, we need to go back. And they always have to rewrite the book, whether it's Thumbtack, Yelp, Google. They all don't understand. And in this labor market, when the government's paying people to stay home, it's not only a shortage of wood, metal, silver for the chips in your phone and in the vehicles, but also labor. And that's oh, yeah. a scary thing. This labor shortage, it's very, very interesting. And for me, I've, I'm literally working on another book and I, I've realized one thing. It's always something. Yep. 2009, it was supposed to be once in a lifetime. Listen, once in a lifetime, you're going to see the house go down and have this crisis. Well, then we had COVID. And this is two times in 10 years, practically. And now we have this huge shortage between labor and goods. And what I, one thing I do realize is in 2009, there are people that made millions and millions and billions and billions of dollars, but there are people that lost. Yeah, oh yeah. And the same thing is happening right now. And you got to decide what side of the coin are you on? And I've always said, we're struggling. There's things going on. But I, now I, I literally sit down on my whiteboard and say, what are the opportunities? You know, you do a squad analysis and say, when shit's going bad, when everything seems to be at its worst, it's reading between the lines and finding that gray area of yeah. good. Yeah. And I oh, think yeah. it's important. Uh, you know, the, the labor shortage, part of that is, is because the next generation that has not been widely publicized. Unless you were in government, you would know about it in government because of taxation. But demographically, about 80 million boomers, about 80 to 100 million millennials, depending on when they, they put the birth year, the end date. Right. Uh, is, is that variation. And there's about 40 to 45 million Xers. So there's only half as many Xers in between these two huge generations. And so when all the baby boomers retire, the proportion of people within the baby boomer generation that were working that retire, there's only half as many Xers to replace them. And so the Xers that are already in the workforce are probably already occupying a boomer job because half the boomers have already retired. And so the, the Xers are already occupying a boomer position. So when the next position comes open, an executive position, there, there are no more extras to fill their spot. It's got to be a millennial talent. And that's a real drain. That's where you see this uh, A1V visa or A1C3 visa, something like that. Allow the foreign technical workers to come into the work in the technology field. It's not that there are more people didn't go into technology field in the United States. It's that they, they were never born. This is a global issue, by the way. They were never born. Uh, Vietnam War was going on. Birth control was legalized in the United States. Abortion was legalized in the United States. People saying, you know, th those could be reasons. Nobody really knows the reason, but we just know that they they were never born. And so it's not that people didn't go into technology or in, even into home maintenance. They just, they're not here. So that's a real issue in regards to the labor. And it's also an issue on taxation because they were hoping that extras would pay for all the millennial retirement and Social Security. And, and yes, please pay for my retirement, Social Security and my Medicare. But all that to say is that the generations are smaller generation in the middle. Let me get back to this millennial thing on the change in business model. The last one to change was education. When they started, the computers started hitting the classrooms 
probably in the year 2004, I think the computers actually started hitting the classroom. They'd been in business and people had them at home and that kind of stuff, but they weren't cheap enough yet to get into a classroom. Once they started getting in the classroom, the educators had to start thinking, and I wouldn't have known about this until I got into education, is that there's this thing called a rubric that takes a, a student from pre-K all the way to 12th grade, and then in college, uh, an entering freshman all the way through graduate school doctorate degree of what do we have to educate an entering student? So in pre-K, what do we need to teach this pre-K student every year, first grade, second grade, third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade, in a fashion such that by the time they graduate from high school, they're ready to occupy a job in 12 years or 13 years. Well, when the computers hit the classrooms, they were saying, well, wait a minute, who knows what the jobs are going to be? At that time, they really thought they were still being industrial age jobs. Well, by the time 2010 hit, that all that all went away with with Google, uh, internet, uh, the connectedness of everything. That they, they soon realized, with the as fast as technology was changing, that the jobs that these first grade students were going to occupy in 16 years, for example, after they graduate from college, have not yet even been invented. How do we educate a student for a job that hasn't even been invented? We don't even know what that job's going to be. So we yeah. have to give them a more generalized education. We can't reading, writing, and arithmetic is not going to work necessarily. They'll be the basis of what you need. But by the time they get to 11th or 12th grade, they need to be training on technology for what jobs are not in, that aren't even here yet. I mean, even get drone pilots, that'd be one, a pretty easy one. Uh, you know, who would have thought Amazon driver, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, soon the cars are going to drive themselves. I mean, literally, like, there are jobs that are recreating, like, even right now. Oh, yeah, yeah. So uh, all that... All it says is that the education changed. And so how the education changed, I was raised in rows and columns. I'm not sure about you. When I was in the classroom, there was a teacher in the front of the room. They were the expert. And you did your own work. If you worked in a group, well, you, you had to get permission from the teacher to work in a group. Even in a study group, you had to have the teacher's permission to study together. Millennials were, because of this change, they didn't know how things were going to operate. They allowed students to start working together. It was now teamwork. It was now group work. It was no longer individual. The teacher was no longer the expert. The teacher was a facilitator of knowledge acquisition. And the knowledge acquisition was off the internet. The schools are afraid of, because you're talking about the home maintenance business being afraid. Education is very afraid that somebody's going to come out with the super school online with the best. I mean, I'm talking about the world-class best teacher in every course and put it for dirt cheap on the internet and allow you to get an unbelievable education. If you could ever figure out how to learn on the internet. Well, I've, I've taken online classes and have done very well. Not that they're easy, but I mean, I've done really well on them. So that is a manner of learning. This whole pandemic has taught us culturally that you can do things online that you used to not think were possible. So, yeah, yeah, I agree with that. So, so, they, had, so, so when they entered the classroom, so you got these students who have been, who they have a different philosophical view and they have a different business model view. And they entered in the 2006, probably 2004, 2006, when they started entering the workforce, they um, encountered a, an industrial age workplace and they were actually educated for connected age workplace. And they were educated to an, occupy a technology job. They were not educated to occupy a brick and mortar job or a, a routine job. So then they were asked to, okay, here's your job. Here's what you need to do. Go over in the desk and do it. They said, are you kidding me? What am I supposed to do? Well, you're supposed to fill out this paperwork. Why am I filling out this paperwork? Why, why, why? Everything is why, why, why? And people thought that they were felt entitled, they didn't want to work. And that wasn't it at all. They were just like shocked that the, what, what this is, it was foreign to them. We're not properly prepared for what the jobs that they were encountering. And, you, and we see that by 2016, they finally, business finally caught up and has gone more toward that technology and being able to address the millennials as they, as they entered the workforce. And Gen Z is even millennials on steroids. So that 
that was really the conflict that's in the workplace. And you still have a conflict in the workplace between the generations. So generationally, the boomers, while they deal with technology, they don't, they don't really want to know the technology. <laughs> let, let the millennials do it. The millennials know the technology, but they don't know why they're doing it and how it's being done now. And I'll, I'll give you the why that's important. Millennials were trained to ask two questions, why and how, why and how. So if you, if you hired somebody to come and take one of your classes as you're, as you're training them in some home maintenance area to get certified so that they can go into a home, somebody's home and perform these services, and they start asking you why you're doing this, they know that you're getting paid to do this. They know that people need the work done. That's not what the why is that they're asking. They're asking the very base reason. Why is this actually being done to begin with, period? That's where you got to say, well, there's a, there's a law that says that it has to be conformed to this particular manner of installation, and you have to have a certification. Why was that ever established? Well, because we want to prevent poor practice of people getting fried, you know, by poor electrical systems or their water leaking all over the floor, their air conditioning system not working properly. There's reasons why. So that, that once they get that why, then they understand why it's being done. Then when they ask, how are you doing it? They're not asking how you, they know how you're doing it. They want to know how you're doing what to answer this why question. Well, we're filling out these forms or, or we're, we're putting in these valves like this. So this is how you install this air conditioning system. That's, this is how we're doing it. And the reason why they're asking that how question is they've been taught to find the latest available technology that will replace however it's being done and do it with technology. That's what you were addressing earlier. How are they going to Uberize all of this? Right. That's what millennials were trained to is, is to not necessarily Uberize it, but where can technology replace a manual effort and or save time, save money? Because if they can do that, they can capture, this is how they're educated, they can capture, and culture has demonstrated this, they can capture a huge market share. In fact, they can become the disruptor. I mean, they're all basically educated to be the disruptor in their whatever field they go into. So when you hire a millennial, I encourage you to understand that's where they're coming from and to use that to your advantage. The executives I work with, I say, take your your top millennial talent, the ones who are really sharp, and I say, have them investigate your business and find out what exactly that you're doing and what is it that you're doing that cannot be put in digital form. Uh, you may have files that are not, you can't put these files. I mean, they got historical fire files from the 1980s and you, you might as well just throw them away, but you're still keeping them. Let, let them discover that stuff. And then whatever can't be put in digital form, you need to put it into a vault somewhere or put it in a storehouse, warehouse and just lock the key and, and not, not look at it anymore. Then you ask them, what's the technology that we're using that is already outdated? And then what is the recommendation for new technology that you would have us use? And they, and they will provide that for you. And the last one is, I want you to invent, now that you know how we're doing it, this is all the stuff we have, just assume 75% of the people that are in this market, or you can even consider yourself one of the top, only 25% of the market have what we have. I want you to come up with a disruptor that it actually we could not even compete with. And pretty short order, I'm not talking about weeks, I'm talking about days, they'll come back with a disruptor. Now, you may say that this will never work, because they don't know if it's going to work or not. They don't have the business experience that you would have, that the executives have, that would be able to tell them that would work or not. But in a coaching environment, what you provide for them is the ability to be questioned. So you know that it's not going to work. So you can ask, well, what are you going to do when you when you run into this issue that you know is a true issue? It's never going to get past this. And allow them to try to work that out. And maybe they, they can think of some way to actually get around that that you never thought of. That we're, we're just going to do it. Well, there's a law against that. Well, we're just going to do it anyway. Well, <laughs> you just can't do that. Well, we're going to do it anyway. And, you know, there's, I mean, Uber, 
goes into towns and they start setting up these cab rides and the local officials are like, you can't do that. We have taxi rules. And finally, yeah. the public said, we want Uber. And suddenly the taxi rules got kind of pushed, pushed to the side. And Uber, Everybody lost their medallion. Yeah. And, and so that that's who they are. And that's who they can be for your company. They can take your company from a small, not necessarily even a small scale, a medium-sized company or even a large company and really turn it into something phenomenal beyond your wildest imagination. That's what they want to do for you. Well, you bring up a great point. I just think a lot of the baby boomers, they're just, you know, I was raised around baby boomers everywhere and they just don't have the patience because they're saying, look, you know, especially in the home service space is sure. Let's adopt some of these programs. Everybody understands now. I mean, I, I have this discussion to hundreds and hundreds of companies. So what a CRM does. Yeah. How it's important to know your numbers, your booking rate. I have almost 4,000 call tracking numbers. People are like, why would you have that many call track? Well, every single zone has a separate, like they don't understand the reasoning behind it. But when I can yeah. show them, they go, oh my God, that's crazy how you've got that much control over your marketing and your booking rate and the VoIP system, voice over internet protocol. And then what happens now is, you know, someone told me this five years ago and it's, it's happened is what happens is you want an amazing user interface that connects to all different types of software. So there's what's called an API, it's application process interface. And the API hooks up with webhooks, there's webhooks API. So now I need one user interface that can control everything. So when people are looking for an ERP or a CRM, I tell them first find something amazing that can handle a lot of connectivity to other things. Yeah. So it's really built to be the central hub that connects to everything because you and I both know we could log into 25 different software, but unless they're talking to each other and understand what each one of them are doing, it's so much double entry and crap like that. So yeah. I just find it though that they're, you know, we could use technology to help. And I know there's going to be a whole paradigm shift, just like the internet, just like computers. There's been the 3D, they, they say that the thing that's going to cause us to grow exponentially is the 3D printer now and, and the way that the 3D printer works. There's some crazy things coming, but they're starting to happen. It's exponential growth versus linear growth. They're literally building buildings with 3D printers, putting everything in the plumbing, the wiring, everything to the 3D printer. I can't even imagine that. I mean, you got structural materials, you got st a structural building, you got electrical wire, right? Got, you got to have plastic coating around the wiring. And they've got 3D printing that, that they're working on that actually does all that. Well, they're saying that they're building spaceships that can land on a meteor and actually 3D print from the materials on the meteor for space. The problem is that right now, Philip, me and you don't move at the same pace no, no. as technology. And I don't really think millennials move at the same pace. Technology could go like this, but the society is not ready to handle that. Right. It slows it down. It slows down the curve. That, that's what I was saying in regards to this millennium change cycle. What, exactly what you're saying is the technology is outpacing our ability for society to adapt. Correct. And and I mean, that's why Walmart has not adopted the um, our checkout list. I mean, they have it right now. Everything's got the RFID chip in it. And, and they can just walk out with a full buggy and they can put it on their credit card and nobody ever has to check them out. Well, they already have that technology but they don't want to implement it because it's going to unemploy so many people. So our technology is far outstripping our, our social order. That's what the millennials are going to have to address head on. And, and you're part of that generation to have to address these issues because the boomers are going to be out of the workplace. We're, we're going to be out of here. We're going to have to deal with it. Well, you know, th there will have to be a supplementation of certain people's income. And I do tell people we are going to head more to a social society 
in a way because you have to, because not everybody's going to have as many jobs. So how do you contribute to society? And you just don't turn your back on the people that help build the country that we know of today. So unfortunately and fortunately, no matter what you feel about it, with the way things are moving with DNA, with the way that we could adjust chromosomes and the way that we could influx our positions in a different, it's crazy, but you can make an apple be 10 times bigger. I mean, there's certain things that we can do with genetic code. And the fact is that people will not have to work if they don't want to, I think, eventually. Well, you know, and again, but people are going to have to make that decision of whether or not they implement a system that makes an apple 10 times bigger. Who's going to make that decision? And if they can prove there's no detrimental health risk, as far as we know, because no one's eaten it for 10 years and we don't really know 10 years out. But for now, they're talking in Louisiana, like we had a, I heard an agricultural commissioner that talked about uh, uh, sugarcane planting and their desire was to be able to increase sugarcane production from the same field. He said, we need to actually reproduce it 25 times as much sugarcane per field just to supply the global need for the sugars that the sugarcane fields produce. And he said, you know, that the world's getting hungry and, and there's only so many places that are providing the food and those places that provide the food have to be able to increase their output on the same footprint of the land. And it, it all comes through genetics. I mean, it really is genetic crops. And he said there's a real fear in the agricultural business that eventually their genetic crop is going to come out that's going to be the destroyer of all the other genetic crops. And then what do you do? Because now all you have is genetically modified crops. You don't have the original crop anymore. And so... Uh, well, real- they, they say there's what's called Noah's Ark of the modern age, and that's where they could take the genetic sequence of every single animal and reptile and everything and recreate... I, you know, I, I've not studied science at that level. It's been years, but I did take a lot of science in, in, in biology and microbiology and anatomy and physiology. But the fact is that it's changed so much. Oh, yeah. In the last, you know, you, you used to be able, and this is how old I am, is you could grab an encyclopedia. But now every year an encyclopedia is out of date. It's literally, I mean, you can see history, but you can't really see a lot of what, and we had a different take on history. Now that it's yeah. a global economy, yeah. You can see exactly what was happening from their perspective in that economy. Well, part of that is the knowledge doubling curve, where I think in the you know, 1800s, knowledge was doubling every 50 years or something like that, or 100 years. And then it went to 50, then it went to 25, then it went to 10. And what they're saying with the, uh, if when 5G finally gets fully implemented, then the knowledge doubling curve will go down to, I think it's like 18 hours. The knowledge that is uploaded onto the internet. It's talking about what, what you're involved with. And as you're saying, all this information from all these different sources are coming into your database. Cryptocurrency is a whole other one that gobbles up a lot of memory. But it's going to double every 18 hours as far as what's available for an individual to look up. And that's phenomenal. 5G is, I mean, we haven't even talked about 5G. 5G is going to change. Oh man, It's going to change a whole lot of stuff. Uh, once it gets fully implemented, it hadn't been fully rolled out yet. And, and it's kind of like your cell phone. 5G does a lot more than to make a call. It can control everything in your house, in your car. There's automated vehicles. It can drive automated vehicles. <laughs> you know, it's, it's probably crazy. take you to the moon and back. You know, yeah. it's it's nice to talk about what's coming, and, and it's going to be interesting as it plays out. But there are things that literally shut down markets. And as I'm learning more, it's a global economy. You've kind of got to deal with China, Russia, the different markets, Europe. I mean, everywhere. It's impossible not to. I'm just curious, as we, we've talked about a lot of stuff, everybody's having a labor crisis right now. And, uh, you know, millennials are who you want to hire. Right now, it's tough. I'm telling you, they'd rather stay at home. 
I'm telling you, there's a lot of people that are like, if I can make the same amount of money, and I used to be a server, I used to be a busboy, I yeah. used to do all of it, but they'd rather stay at home and they don't feel, you know, when my grandma used to use food stamps, because she did, she, you know, the depression, I think a lot of people did, is it was embarrassing. It literally, the way that the food stamps looked, you had to break them out in front of everybody and take them out. Now yeah. they've got what's called a, you know, it's a card, yeah, oh, yeah. a credit card. And it, there's no, social unrest it's like we should never let people feel bad about that and i'm like well what there's people paying taxes for that it's not free so i guess you know i'm going off on a tangent here but what do we do to attract millennials well how do we get them in the workplace there's three things that when you make an advertisement for a millennial talent to come and do work is good is that you want to offer them the opportunity for development professional development and in the home maintenance field that would help them get get their certifications that they need, help identify the training that they need. If it's not work-related, but they need to get a particular certification even to do the work, uh, help them get that. You are a development opportunity zone. If you have a large enough organization, it sounds like that your organization is pretty large, you can actually develop your own online development center. I mean, they've got these uh, course delivery providers that they basically give you the platform, kind of like building a website where you build your whole development on, onto the website and you can do your own yeah, they're, online they're learning. LMS, learning management yeah, yeah, the LMS systems that you can provide them all the training that they need for the position that you're hiring them for. And you are going to make sure that they, they get that training as part of the coaching is that you, they have to agree. This is what you want to do. Well, this is what we're going to provide you. So provide them development. The next is provide them advancement opportunities up front when you're talking to them. These are the investment opportunities you're going to have. Now you may have uh, people that are that are in the air conditioning field, electrical field, plumbing field, carpentry, wh- whatever you're sending people out to do as they're starting out as a 23-year-old or even 19 years old right out of high school. Your opportunities for advancement might be limited, right? Because they have to get at least seven to eight years of experience in order to learn the craft that they're doing, to really become masterful at the craft. And that's what you're going to provide them. And this opportunities for advancement is, one, what is competency? So we're going to provide you the opportunities to allow you to become competent in your whatever your field you're in, whether that be plumbing, electrical, uh, mechanical. And this is where competency is measured. When you reach competency, these are the opportunities that are going to be open for you. And just have that already pre-identified within your organization. When somebody gets competent, they're no longer a, a plumber one. They might be a plumber four, plumber five, and they might have a supervisory role, whatever that is. And then you take them to the next level that once you get competence, we're not done with you because we want you to become very masterful of whatever you're doing. And so we're going to provide you the development opportunities that you need and the training to make sure that you go from competent to masterful. Now, what that's going to provide you as an organization is this. You're going to have difference between competency and mastery. Competence is that they're very good at what they do. Mastery is that they know what they do and they can actually do it a different way. Okay. They become uh, creative in what it is that they do it. So they're able to do it a different way. And so they may have a, an electrical box that they're trying to figure out and the competence would just, they're stuck. <laughs> There's nothing they can do. A masterful person can figure out a way to make this work and in a safe manner. Uh, the third one is that once they become, again, you're just all talking about this at the, at the interview. Once you get masterful at this, and it might take you 12 years to get masterful at this, we're going to make sure that you become a sector in authority in whatever field that you're in, whether that's plumbing, electrical, or whatever. We're going to make sure that you actually become authority in that field. And that will take them all the way to their career path. In other words, they're going to peak out then. And that authority in the field allows them the ability to innovate. Because once they become competent, they know what to do. Masterful, they know a different way to do it. 
once they become an authority, they can actually innovate an entirely new way to do it. That would not, maybe not even involve anything in, that they were using in the past. They might even be able to eliminate that whole thing altogether and innovate something differently altogether. With that kind of an opportunity in front of them, they had a Gallup survey that came out in early 2020. And I was very surprised at the findings of the, of the survey. It was right before the pandemic really hit. Uh, so it was really taken in, 19, in, in 2019, but it was published in 2020. And it was something amazing. It was like 92% of millennials said that they would like to finish out their careers in the existing companies where they were working. I mean, I never even heard that. It wasn't like there was a labor shortage and they could go anywhere. They wanted to demonstrate loyalty to the companies. And for them, the loyalty to be shown is the companies need to provide development, opportunities for advancement, and then, of course, to advance them. And then this idea of work-life balance. Where does work-life balance fall into that? That's a very difficult one, especially for a young worker, for a person just coming in and learning other crafts. You're already investing in them tremendously in the development opportunities. Then you need to figure out what is this work-life balance. And it may be providing them an opportunity, not necessarily for half days, right? There's a basketball game coming up. I want to go through this afternoon. But to provide them days off, out of their schedules, if they're on a seven-day schedule and they, you know, they work Tuesday through Sunday and they have Monday and Tuesday off, is it like every other week, give them another day off. To give them something where they can ha- actually get some balance in their life, where they can refocus, especially in the home maintenance field, because you're 24-7. Well, people <laughs> are switching to four-day work weeks. I've heard of that. Yeah, it, like, yeah. Yeah, so when you're on, you're on. You know, if you get a call, if, my, if I would, you know, it was 10.30 last night, if my wife hadn't said water pan... <laughs> Believe me, I would have been calling my air conditioning guy and say, my air conditioner's not coming. Can you send somebody out? And he would have gone up the attic. Oh, by the way, your water pants fall over. Like such an idiot. But the guy would have driven driven out there at 11 o'clock at night to fix it. And so you're always working. I don't know if this appreciated enough until you have that home emergency where you need your repairman to come out there where you appreciate that somebody's actually on call. They're going to do that for you. And you take them away from dinner or that you wake them up at night and they got to come out and service in your home. That's the job they've chosen to pursue their career path in it at this current time. And you uh, encourage you to make it as as uh, livable as possible because they see their friends, their friends aren't doing that. Their friends might have nine to five jobs or eight to five jobs and work five days a week or four days a week. Engineering right now is a four day a week job. Typically they work 11 hour days or 12 hour days and then they work four days a week or they'll work half day Friday. So that's definitely in the in the culture. Uh, but in the home maintenance field, it's difficult. It means you got to hire more people to because you're 24 seven. You got to do this seven days, and so difficult to handle. But to work out where you got to talk about work life balance in the interview that you want to address that that you're not opposed to that that you want them to have a life, but also understand you're learning a career and we're, we're providing you that opportunity to learn the career, and that that requires that you're on the job. So if you get a call at nine o'clock, you got to go. Now I think that's really really important. So that you've got. Your career development, the advancement opportunities, and then become the third one was. Am I right? Is, is it's authority in the field? You become become an authority. Uh, no, it'd be the work life balance. The third, third one. Oh, the third one is work life balance. Okay, yeah, yeah. So I got that one. So authority in the field. So it goes uh, competent, masterful, authority in the field, and then the third one's work life balance. Well, I'm going to redo my ads in a certain way because I believe you hit the nail on the head. You know, it's funny because I don't have it up, but I I do have a lot of things that I've been working on. Is I'm not necessarily trying to attract people off the unemployment line. I'm trying to get people to change their job, to go from a job to a career. Yeah, so Take somebody good and put them in, in our role. And uh, it's interesting. The more I get involved, you know, I live in a planet that um, I'm a visionary. The more I come down to earth and, and kind of go to integration again, 
it's kind of fun for me because I learn a lot, but I know that my job is the visionary. So I need to continue to do what I'm doing, but I like to kind of land in and see what's going on down here, here and there. This is a great conversation because we all have these conversations and it's happening. And, uh, you know, it's just nice. To me, I got you got my brain spinning about a lot of things. You got me thinking, I just wish there was more millennials in some of my distribution centers because you get these people that just, they literally are still stuck. And that's the way we've always done it. It's the way we've always done it. And they're just so strict on, you know, it's not been done that way. And we just don't think it's going to work that way. And I'm like, and now I'm like this. You put an obstacle in front of me, I'm figuring out a way to go around it. Now I'm literally... I'm making phone calls. I'm drawing on the whiteboard. I'm literally thinking of ways to say, okay, you're forcing my hand to innovate and think outside the box. So let me ask you this. You know, there's a lot of uh, interesting things we've talked about, Philip, and I'm I'm curious to hear what are a few books that can kind of help us in this this millennial conundrum that some people some people love it, some people hate it, but where, where do we find more about it? What are three three books that you'd recommend? And they don't need to be about necessarily millennials, but just whatever you'd want that really you learned a lot from about what's going on. I would listen to a, you go online, go to the great book series and just listen to one of the books on the history of philosophy. It will blow you away of how mankind has thought over the ages. And it will definitely, you'll definitely see that the culture that we're currently in has been before. This is nothing new that we're in the culturally. It's nothing new. It's been here before and we're going to get out of it. It's going to go back. It goes in cycles. And there's going to come a time when the millennials are going to wake up in regards to, oh, you know, we need to have truth. You know, we need to have moral order. We need to have justice in our country. And it's not the kind of justice they're talking about. They're, they're really talking about because anybody can do anything that they want. Look what they're doing to me. I want justice. And so they will come back to the realization that those things are, need to happen for us to be in, in social. So I'll read a philosophy, a history of philosophy book in regards to the uh, technology I listen to a lot of audio books, but I really get stuff off the cutting edge stuff is off the internet. And I would recommend this that people go watch Elon Musk's uh, video on this uh, brain implant that he has. And again, for, and the reason why I say that is it because Elon Musk is working on very cutting edge stuff that he's investing a lot of money in to actually make happen. And so that what, what it will provide for you is an opportunity to see that. You know, the world really is changing. And I, and I can't just sit here with my desktop calculator <laughs> and think that the world's not changing because that's the future. So there's a future coming that's very different than the future we're currently existing in. Uh, so that would that would take you out in the future. Elon Musk's a great one because he's, he's not afraid to say what he thinks and do whatever he wants in that regard. Anyway, so he, he's got a couple of great interviews out there on that topic. And then in regards to uh, the cultural differences, read my book, I got uh, Unleash the Millennials and Save the World. I wrote it, it's on Amazon. I read a lot of different millennial books. Uh, I've got a whole bookcase over here to my right that have them in there. And what I tried to do in that book is I tried to present what is actually happening because the, the books that were written on millennials were trying to address the, the symptoms of why millennials were, were like they were and why boomers are like they are. And what my book is actually gives you the, the base reasons. So these are the foundational reasons why the why the generations are different. And it will really help you. I mean, the, for all the boomers who, who listen to your show, I just want to remind us that when we grew up, you know, we didn't have seatbelts in the car. 
You know, so when you got into, I, I can I can remember riding in the back of window of my parents' car, and they were driving down the interstate. My dad was driving like a madman, you know, eighty miles an hour, passing left and right on a two lane highway. The interstates were even there. I'm riding in the back window, <laughs> you know. Well, the windshields were not uh, shatterproof. I mean, when you went through the windshield, it was an ugly scene. The seatbelts weren't even installed. Anyway, smoking was every you know, third of the population smoked, and so restaurants were always filled with smoke. Bars were filled with smoke. I, I mean, my parents smoked. It was just smoking was everywhere. It was totally acceptable. The surprising one was, and, and of course, millennials aren't. They are some millennials smoke, but they're very health conscious. The last one that really got me when I when I wrote this book was when I entered the workforce back in nineteen uh, early nineteen eighties. Uh, I can remember going into offices and people had uh, whole racks of, of booze behind their desk at three o'clock in the <laughs> afternoon and they just, they'd have a drink. Yeah. And so they have a, the, the party was going on in, in Bill's office. And of course, Bill was the boss and he was sure happened to pass around the drinks or they would leave. And so they'd leave the office and they'd go to the, some a local tavern or bar and they'd drink and, or they'd go out for lunch on a Friday and they'd get the two martini lunch. And that created so many the problems for our generation, for the boomer generation. It really did. It created a lot of problems for us. And a lot of that's coming to light today of just how how we bad we were as a as a generation. A lot of things. We did a lot of good things, but there were a lot of things that we, we adapted that were not really good. And so that will really show you that in the book of the differences between the generation. You know, millennials are there to work. You know, if you can get one to come to work, right? They're there to work. And then how you attract them to that. Because right, tell me exactly what you said. We are going to provide you a career that you can do for the rest of your life. You know, part of this thing of what made me successful in my life, my personality type is I'm a connector. I'm able to make connections between things. I like to figure things out. I'm a lifelong learner. I study stuff until I know how to do it. And then I become, in essence, become a mini expert on whatever it is I'm working on. And then I'll start doing it. And what I learned in that process was doing excellent work, no matter what it is that you're doing, whatever craft that you're in, people will pay a lot for people who do good work because you know the my friend of mine said he wanted to open a company called we show up <laughs> you know <laughs> because a lot of the holy course you know I, I can understand you're out in a lot of different calls and i call and you say you'd be there in 10 minutes and then you don't even come i mean the cable company was horrendous for that still are but oh, yeah all, all that to say is that that the opportunities for uh doing things is phenomenal and millennials are the the individuals that who you can depend on if you give them that opportunity they want to do that. They want to have a great career. Yeah, no, that, that's the deal is millennials. I think we, we've done a good job with the podcast of, of getting rid of that fallacy that millennials are not good people or they're different. There's all and it scares. Yeah. It scares a lot of people because they don't want to just rush in there and say, what do I need to do that? You can ask a lot of questions. And even as kids, they ask a lot of questions, you know, so I just bought the book, Unleash the Millennials, Save the World. Yeah. I'll, I'll definitely be talking to you about it. I got a concept in there called C4, communicate, cooperate, collaborate, and co-create. So for boomer and millennials to get along in the workplace and Gen Z coming up, it's the same thing. So for the older generation to work for, this is for you. Communicate with your younger talent. That means make sure that you're, they, they're, have them repeat back what it is that you just said so that you make sure that there's communication going on and that you're communicating in a friendly way. This is not, I'm not commanding you to do this. I just, this is what I'm trying to let you know. This is what we need done. Communicate, cooperate. That means that, that if I need something that I need your cooperation on, that you're going to cooperate with me. And it goes both ways. The millennial is going to cooperate with the boomer. The boomer is going to cooperate because the millennial might come back and say, hey, this is being done all wrong. Well, let's work together on this and see how we can get this to work so the boomer can understand what the millennial is talking about. The next one is collaborate. Collaborate together on something that 
that needs to be done that the boomer might not necessarily know the answer and the millennial certainly doesn't know the answer because they don't have the experience yet and collaborate with them to figure out how to get this done. Look, I need you to go and work on this aspect of this, what we're working on, and I'm going to work on this and we're going to collaborate together. And when we come back, we're going to figure this thing out. That's what they've been educated to do. That's how they're educated. They want to do that. They want to collaborate with you on, on helping the company become the greatest company it could ever be. And the final one is to co-create. Once you start communicating, cooperating, and collaborating, then you can co-create something, something totally new, something to, to, as you say, that you're the vision guy, and every once in a while you want to walk around the shop and see how things are going. Is the vision being implemented? Uh, where are things going right? Where are things going wrong? How can I help out? This co-creation is to come together as a group with the millennials and boomers coming together and co-create something together that is phenomenal. That will blow everybody away, blow the whole market away. So that's where that vision comes in because you can cast a great vision that inspires people to be motivated to do something, then it's the co-creation of that vision that you have is it allow them to participate in that co-creation. And it just becomes a win-win. You know, it's interesting that we've, we're talking about all this stuff. And, that, you know, I always tell people I've been an employee in about 15 different roles and I've been an owner in a couple of roles. And so I know what it's like to be an employee. You know, one day I told my boss, I said, why don't we get cut early? There's nobody here. And he goes, well, if I cut you early and a table comes in, then I'm the one left cleaning it up. Or the fact, because I told you so, and that's the worst answer you could ever give. Yeah. Uh, I never wanted to be a boss like that. And there's certain things that I thought were just kind of givens. Like a business needs to be profitable to stay in business. But there's certain things that just escape sometimes employees' minds. And they just, they don't understand What I love to do, and a lot of business owners I do this with, is explain that it's so easy to say, well, it only costs me 20 bucks for them to show up if paying them 20 bucks an hour, but they don't see the bigger picture of the CSR that booked the phone call, the dispatcher, the warehouse guy, the air conditioning bill. There's so many other things going on that when you really understand what it costs to operate per hour, and a lot of times, a lot of people have meetings. You might have a meeting of 10 people, but if you have, you enter all their, and there's apps that do this. They're pretty cool. You put in everybody's salary or everybody's hourly. And you start going minute by minute and seeing 20 bucks, 40 bucks, 80 bucks, whatever it is. You have a 20 minute meeting that might've cost 500 bucks. I'm not saying it wasn't worth it, but you start understanding that things need to be a little oh, bit yeah. more emphasized. But I think what I want to do is, is get deep into the book. And I think anybody listening it's great to understand that dynamic because we still are selling to baby boomers. Believe it or not, there's still half of the market, but it's shifting. And to be able to understand millennials, let me ask you one more question when it pertains to millennials. And I don't know if you have any insight on this, but when it comes to selling to a millennial from a home service perspective, do you have any tips for that? Uh, yes, those are trustworthy. And you're trustworthy. And you're trustworthy and you match their value system. It's the same. It goes on all generations. People like to give work to people they know and they can trust. And so they they know from their own generation the idea of untrustworthiness within their own generation. Just as every generation has untrustworthy people in it. Uh, millennials also know this this idea of being untrustworthy. And so they want to know that they can trust you and that you share the same values. And that's where you, you would have a, a core value statement of some kind within your organization to identify what those values are. Because... Everybody always quits their boss. I mean, that, that's a given. Millennials are now quitting the companies that don't share the same values that they have. And so just to evaluate the values that you have as a company and make them so that they are 
I gotta say this. I mean, love is really the key to everything, but it shows compassion for for individuals. Now you have people who are out there working or not working, but they're collecting a paycheck from Uncle Sam, I guess you'd say. Uh, and so there's debt being accumulated as a result of that. But of course, obviously, Congress is not too worried about that apparently at this time. But the way to get them off that the government dole, I guess, or they can, to come into the workplace and actually have the career is because they can trust that they, they can come work for you. Same thing when you try to get give them a, a bid on a job or come into their home, to do that they can trust you, that you are trustworthy, that you're going to provide the services as exactly as you've said. And that's what I was getting at and talking about myself and that when I became an expert, my thing was to, I never, I don't like criticism. And so to avoid criticism, I always did beyond whatever was expected. And I just wor- I did excellent work. I mean, that was just it was a fact. I mean, I, I started my own company when I was 28 and sold it when I was 32 and, and made a lot of money when I sold it. And it was all built upon that, of b- delivering high quality work products. If you're a painter or, or a master craftsman, or, or if you go into a paint store or, or artist store, let's just go to the art for an example. You go to an art gallery and they have a painting on the wall that's $5,000. You're going, man, $5,000. How long did it take that person to paint that thing, right? And then you find out that they really do demand. People are paying the $5,000 for it. And then suddenly you want that artwork on your wall. If you go to the artist and you say, oh, by the way, I like that painting, but I only want it for $450. You know, they're going to laugh at you. If you want my work, this is what my work costs because they are that good. That's what the homeowners, the millennial homeowners, when they're asking you to come into their home to work on their home, that's what they want. They want high quality uh, work done because they're going to pay top dollar for it. And they will pay top dollar for high quality work. But if you come into their home and you do low quality work and you still charge a high top dollar, they'll go to the next person. They're not loyalty from that perspective is out the window because they're expecting that if you say you're going to do it, it's going to be done and it's going to be done right. And that's difficult to, it's not difficult, but it's, it is a training thing that you're having to do with your crews. To it's make hard. Sure. It is difficult. I think it's difficult to create the same experience with a huge company. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think it's easy for a restaurant or the fast food space because the only reason I say that is all your problems are confined to 1,500 square feet or, or a couple thousand square feet. Whereas home service, we're in Michigan, we're in Wisconsin, we're in Florida, we're in everywhere. You know, we're, we're in Oklahoma, we're in... So the problems are infinitely bigger. Yeah, and that's where this development from competency to mastery comes in is on your side is that as you send them out in the field, and you get a bad report back on an individual. That report doesn't just get buried. It goes back to the individual and say, where can we help you to ensure that this doesn't happen again? Well, I didn't have the training on such and such that I needed, and I wasn't expecting that. I couldn't call back to the shop. Then you communicate, cooperate, collaborate, co-create, is allow them that opportunity from a field perspective, because if it's not corrected, it's going to be done again. And then if it, it's done again, well, that's then, the problem is you got to have checks and balance standard operating procedures, systems in place, oh, yeah, checks, yeah, yeah. checks and balances, inspect what you expect, give the customer opportunities. You got to look at customer feedback as a good thing yeah. because it helps you create a better system and standard operating procedure. And, and, and people say, man, I hate customers because they're always bitching and complaining. And I say, that's a good thing. Because if you stop it in its tracks, the next one might have another problem. Stop that. And when you shift the process enough, it stops yeah. and you create something amazing. Yeah. Well, if, if, if the phone stops ringing and, and you, but you haven't been getting any complaints, something's going on. Because <laughs> most people don't complain. 
you know, most people just they, they just switch companies and they, they they're not going to call in. And so the you will have the squeaky wheel that gets that gets the grease. But most people don't complain. And so to have a proactive customer evaluation where you have a third party, I wouldn't even just have a third party call them in to, to represent the organization. Say, look, we really want the honest feedback. How did they do? And so that you can have the information that you need to uh, again from a development perspective of your talent working for you. Uh, help them provide that excellent service that that you would want to be done in your own home. Kind of the idea. How, how you like that? How do you like to have it done in your own home? Is what you want those individuals to be trained in, and to know that that's the expectation. Well, it's so hard. It's so hard because Philip, people want three things. My dad always taught me this: they want it done fast on their time schedule. They want it done the best quality with best parts and with the best craftsmanship, and they want it done for cheap. Yeah, and you just can't deliver all three of those. I choose to skip the cheap one. I deliver a very, very good value, and my dad always put his middle finger up because you get rid of the other two. But you know, you can't give very, very cheap, very, very fast, and very, very great quality. It's yeah. just, it's impossible to continue that unless somehow they're buying from China, and it just can't be as good of materials. The last thing I, you know, I wanted to ask you, Philip, is if someone wants to reach out to you, they want to have a discussion with you. What's the best way to get a hold of you? Go to unleashthemillennials.com. I got uh, contact information on there to get back in contact with me. And I'd love, love to begin a conversation, our own C4 conversation of, of how I can assist you and uh, come alongside you to uh, assist you in your business with your millennial talent. So uh, well, last thing I'll do, Philip, is, is we got a few good things here. We got the history of philosophy. We've got the uh, brain implant by Elon Musk and Unleash the Millennials. Uh, we got C4, Communicate, Cooperate, Collaborate, and Co-Create. We understand what we need, the three things is we need to show people uh, career development, advancement opportunities, and work-life balance. I got a lot of other notes here. Is the great stuff here. I mean, it just keeps going here. I want to give you an opportunity to kind of close this out and talk to the audience and maybe something we didn't discuss or, or speak on and, and just take it away and close this out. I appreciate your time. But first, I'd like to thank you for the opportunity to be on your program today. And I just want to let the uh, your listeners know that as they bring millennial talent, develop them, provide them opportunities for advancement, and then actually advance that millennial talent to not be afraid of where they're going to take the company. The biggest fear that we have is that we're going to lose control in some way. And I think that if, if you if you provide them that development opportunity and advancement, they will be loyal to your organization. At least that's how they've indicated demographically in, in surveys. So that's why I say unleash the millennials and, and save the world. And part of that training of having to helping the idea of saving the world is for the older workforce to help them help the millennial talent understand the ideas of truth and uh, justice and use your company values to do that. And the design criteria that you use in your organization, that could be your ethical standards. You have to, there's a, probably an ethical standard for home maintenance prepare. These are our ethics that we use, and these are the values of the company. And use those two to help them understand these two things of truth and justice that you expect truth to be done within your organization. And when you finish a job at a home and you say it's all done to the best of my ability, <laughs> that it truly has been done to, to the best of the ability and your ability as a certified, whatever it is that you're certified in, has been completed at that home. I love that. You know, it's just pride of ownership, pride of getting the job done. I just, you know, the more I talk to you, you're the second person on a podcast in the last two months that have said, you know, and one of my customers recently, and, and, and so three people have said, focus on the best quality, the best craftsmanship. If you focus on that, you can't lose. 
we had another question. How to develop motivational schedule or who can help me to do it the right way? How to keep talented and skilled guys motivated, not only on there, but also company growth. I'm not sure I understood the question. I, I, I could probably answer both of those with, with, a, with a statement. You, sure. you can't motivate anybody to do anything. You can't yeah. inspire them to be motivated. So if you want somebody to be motivated to do something, inspire them to do that. So if, if you want somebody to be motivated to do better quality work, inspire them to do better quality work. And that that's what provides motivation is inspiration. You can't motivate anybody to do anything. So <laughs> give, me, give me a use case of inspiring motivation and then we'll uh, we'll wrap it up. I want to hear this. Inspire, give me one case of inspiring motivation. Just, just tell me, you know, so I'm at a meeting uh, Thursday yeah. morning with all my guys. What is inspiring them to motivate them to do better craftsmanship? Tell them a story about what better craftsmanship does. So, you know, the, if you're a bricklayer, okay, and you do brickwork, you know, when you're 40 years old or 40 years older and you're with your grandkids driving across past the house or past the building or past the bridge you just built, you're going to be able to turn and, and point to that structure and say, you know, I, I put those big bricks there. That was my labor of love right there. That's my finest painting right there in brick is to do quality work that you can years from now look back on when you see, still see that house in the neighborhood that you installed that air conditioning system and it's been in there 20 years, right? <laughs> You're able to say, look, I installed that air conditioner system. And you're inspiring the fact that what they're doing is changing lives and it lasts for generations. Listen, Philip, it's uh, been a great podcast. I appreciate you uh, jumping on and can't wait to hear more. Can't wait to read your book. Tommy, I appreciate the time that you've uh, devoted on this show and appreciate all the hard work that you're doing for the home maintenance experts out there and providing this podcast. It really is a, it's a blessing for them, for your listeners, because you really do have phenomenal guests. And I just appreciate being included in that, in your number. So thank you very much. Thank you. Well, we'll talk soon, my friend. Appreciate you. Thank you, Tommy. Have a great day. Thank you. You too. Hey guys, I just wanted to thank you real quick for listening to the podcast. From the bottom of my heart, it means a lot to me. And I hope you're getting as much as I am out of this podcast. Our goal is to enrich your lives and enrich your businesses and your internal customers, which is your staff. And if you get a chance, please, please, please subscribe. You're going to find out all the new podcasts. You're going to be able to ask me questions to ask the next guest coming on. And, and do me a quick favor. Leave a quick review. It really helps us out. When you like the podcast and you leave a review, make it four or five sentences. Tell us how we're doing. And I just wanted to mention real quick, we started a membership. It's homeservicemillionaire.com forward slash club. You get a ton of inside look at what we're going to do to become a billion dollar company. And uh, we're just, we're, we're, we're telling everybody our secrets basically. And people say, why do you give your secrets away all the time? And I'm like, you know, the hardest part about giving away my secrets is actually trying to get people to do them. So we also create a lot of accountability within this program. So check it out. It's homeservicemillionaire.com forward slash club. It's cheap. It's a monthly payment. I'm not making any money on it to be completely frank with you guys, but I think it will enrich your lives even further. So thank you once again for listening to the podcast. I really appreciate it.